Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk, the podcast that's all about giving that jolt of inspiration you need. And today I have a jolt of inspiration. I have Danny Newcomb here from the Messy SLP. Welcome, Danny, to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Tell everyone a little bit about your SLP journey and how you then became the Messy SLP. <laughs> so I graduated from uh, Loma Linda University in Southern California in 2018, and then I bebopped around a little bit. I've worked in primarily pediatrics. I did a small stint in a SNP and realized I am a peds SLP through and through. I'm currently in Indiana with my wonderful fiance, and we are planning our wedding come April. So it's sneaking up on us ever so quickly. And right now I'm at a K through sixth grade elementary where I service all kinds of wonderful, beautiful kiddos. And yeah, the Messy SLP started as a blog and evolved into this Instagram page that is so much fun. And it's just kind of evolved and I've kind of just let it take the reins and I don't really have much of a plan for it. And I'm just kind of going with the flow. So it really is just entertaining and your reels and your videos and posts are just like what all of us are thinking or all of us are going through. So we could all totally relate to the, did that really just happen in those moments, right? Yes. Yes. That's what it's all about. When I started with the blog, I loved which was not speech-based at all. It was all just personal stuff. And I loved people messaging me or friends texting me and saying like, 
I so felt what you were talking about in that post. And I thought that because I was shifting away from writing, I thought that I was going to miss that component. Like the, I, that's so relatable. I appreciate what you, you know, wrote about there. And I don't because people will message me and go, oh my gosh, this literally happened to me today. And it's, that's gotta be one of my favorite parts about this is going like, okay, see, we are all going through this together. Like so often, I don't know about you, but I'm the only SLP in my school. Like, yes, there's nine yeah. of us in the district as they're all like texting me like crazy right now, mm-hmm. asking questions. But we often feel alone. Even if you have another person in the building, the chances of you having the time to even talk to them. So I love having the social media and platform like here on this podcast where people can listen and say, wow, it's not just me. Someone else is going through it, too. Yes, especially with like everything that's been going on with COVID. I think that a lot of people are feeling super, super stressed and not realizing that that's 100% valid. Or the fact that like I'll talk a lot about my caseload numbers and my caseload numbers are relatively high. And how high people will go, well, okay, I just went down. I'm almost at 60. I was previously in the mid 70s. And I'll have some people go, oh my gosh, I'm in the 40s. How are you doing it? And then I have some people who go, I'm at 120 with 10 on the docket. And you're like, and so people just having that conversation going like, woof, I feel stressed. And I have a caseload number that's not that bad compared to other people. And so we can kind of commiserate about stuff like that too. So true. And I started out low this year at like 50, which was really low for me. And and quickly I'm back up to 60, but uh, (laughs) new entrance. Luckily, some students didn't arrive this year. So I started out lower which made room for some new entrants. But yes, it's very interesting. Like we all have different stresses. And one Mm -hmm. stress many of us often have is that imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to be doing this? Especially when, and you're a more recent graduate than I am, but we didn't learn everything in grad school that we need for the job. So what would you say to someone that's feeling like, who am I? Can I handle this kind of thing? You know, I've actually been digging into the research on this. So I'm actually, I am currently getting my clinical doctorate and this is what I'm studying in grad students. I'm studying mindfulness and the role that it plays in imposter syndrome in our second year grad students. So typically the grad students that are going through their clinical placements. And a lot of what I've seen recently in the research now, that it's not a lot of research, but something that I've seen is self-compassion. And I think that's a relatively new thing. So I'm going to kind of hang on to that because, and talk a little bit about that, because I think that that hit me so hard when I saw that self-compassion can help with those imposter syndrome symptoms. And I thought that that was so cool because that is something, I'm a former college athlete. I am not the type to give myself self-compassion. It's like, I've got to just push and drive and you've got to be better. And I have that internal, that self-talk that is just that inner critic is just going off. So that self-compassion piece is something like it starts with just going, man, I'm going to give myself grace today. And I will tell parents that in the IEP meeting, I will try to get this IEP done by this date. However, I'm going to give myself some grace because the likelihood that I have it done at exactly that time is low. So I think that I would start by saying, because I think we look at imposter syndrome and it's huge and it's, it's a bummer to have. Nobody likes having that and feeling like they don't deserve anything they've gotten. But I think the big thing that I've been telling people who message me and are like, what do I do about this? 
I go, first off, I don't know. I'm still kind of working through it myself. <laughs> but I think the first thing to do is just extend yourself some grace and just like, you are not supposed to handle it all and you are not supposed to know it all. And that is okay. And I think that that's, for me, that's at least a tan, like that's a first step that I can actually see myself doing is taking a step back and going, can I give myself grace in this situation? And I think that that's been a big thing for me lately and something that I have a grad student with me currently, something that I've been trying to model for her, for lack of a better term, like been trying to model and just show her her this is how you can show yourself grace and you are not expected to be at this level ever and that is okay give yourself some grace and so I think that would be probably something that I would recommend to people show yourself some love I say that often I take grad students as well and I told mine the other day I don't expect it to be perfect I expect you to just self-reflect and just know yeah what would you do differently next time and I say that I do that as well as a clinician I said, you've seen me teach and things have flopped. It still happens and it's normal. Well I can't predict every behavior of the students coming in. I can't predict how they're going to respond to every single strategy and technique. Yeah. And we're all always learning. So I was listening to a audio book or something the other day. Mm -hmm. and it was all talking about like the 80, like there's a whole bunch of 80, 20 rules. And one of them is like, you can't be a hundred percent good at everything. So no. That's why like a lot of times we often write our IEP goals, 80%. We don't expect right. to be 100%. So yeah, why, why, do we, why do we expect to be 100%? I know. And it's so interesting to me. And, and I've tried looking, there's some research on perfectionism and imposter syndrome, but there's some research that says that they're not really related. But I think that that's at least a contributing factor. I mean, we know that this is all a, it's a huge multifactorial thing. Like it's not X, Y, Z. Like we don't just get there linear. It's not a linear thing. It's so, there's so many different things that play into it. And I think that even on a daily basis, we're impacted in different ways. But I would say that that perfectionism kind of comes into play. And there are high expectations. And I think that that's the standard that's set in grad school, which I understand. We want good clinicians in the field. And I think that that's fantastic. And the expectation should be there. But if you think about the way that it is when we're in our clinical placements, we are expected to know little because we're in the classroom and we're learning and we don't know anything about this. But then we're expected to in some programs like mine, you're expected to then go into the clinic and you're supposed to know things because you're now a clinician. And it's like you wear those two hats. And then the self, if you're somebody who's prone to self-imposed high standards, like you're going to want to strive for that greatness. And it's just like you said, we write goals for 80%. Why would I expect that of myself? Mm -hmm. We expect some flops. We expect some error, some margin of error. And I found for me, I started that perfectionism or striving for, I wouldn't say greatness, but higher standards when I was applying to graduate school. When mm -hmm. I felt like I was like, oh, I got to have everything ready to go. I got to get in and this, that. And then it, it just moved on from there. I feel like I was a much more laid back person before all, <laughs> before all that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And like even in grad school, so I didn't have perfect grades in undergrad, but by the grace of God, I got into grad school and I was like, I have to get that 4.0 just to prove to myself that I could do it. And then I got it and I was like, oh, I'm really stressed and burnt out and all for something that nobody ever cares about. My fiance doesn't care that I had a 4.0. My employers don't care that I had a 4.0. Sometimes I'll like go, 
I had a 4.0 and it's like, okay. And then I move on. Like nothing is- doesn't go on a resume. No one cares. No one asks on an interview. I always say to grad students, B's will get you the C's. Yes. I, see it, okay. I love that. That's awesome. Exactly. And that's the, that's more the approach that I've taken in my doctorate. And I think that that's simply because I, I'm working full time now and there's just, you know, got to have some grace there where I'm going. Now I'm the person that's like day of the assignment. I'm like, so what are we supposed to do? How do I get this done? I give you credit. I, I could not. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. What advice would you give to someone that some points in their day just has that overwhelm and self-doubt and what have you? Something that might, because I really do struggle with this. So I, I don't come at this with a, here's how to fix everything. Because I really, this is something I struggle with. And my fiance is actually somebody that's helped me. He'll, he'll go, just take a few breaths. If I'm, he'll call it spiraling. If I'm spiraling and going, I am not good or I don't deserve this or whatever I might be doing. He'll say, take a few breaths. And then we always go back to what I know. I got this job because I am qualified. I look at the kids that I have helped. Oftentimes he'll go, because I come home and I tell him, you know, we got a kid to use their lamp device today or a kid told their mom that they love them today using their device and little things like that. Or I graduated a kid and he'll tell me, Remember that time that you told me about a kid that used their device to tell their mom that they love them? That was pretty cool. And like, he'll kind of just bring me back to the things that I know. So I know that I have had success. I am not a flop of an SLP. I did not graduate and get my C's and get great jobs because I am a flop of an SLP. So it's like trying to go and go through the things that you know. And I have to do that in my personal life as well. Like go, what do you know? Is this something that somebody told you or that you think, or is it something that's actually true? And discerning between what I think because I'm spiraling and what is actually true has been something that's really helped me a lot. I love it. I love it. Something I like to do is I like to save, like, I call them my little love notes. It's really like letters from parents or students. I love that. And I have, I have a little file in my filing cabinet at work. And any of the times where I'm like, who am I? I want to, like, quit and become a barista or something like that. <laughs> like, I, I, even though I hate making coffee, I'm all about I, I, That's so not a job for me. I'd just rather drink it all day than actually make it. But no, no. I, I just take out that file folder in my filing cabinet. I go, okay. I made a difference. Like here's letters of parents thanking me or here's a student saying, I'll miss you so much. Have a great summer. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. It just stays like that. And it just needs to just bring you back to your why. Like why do yeah. you become an SLP? And that's always what's helped me just deal with those difficult days where I want to be like, why did I get myself into this field? I don't feel like dealing with these children sometimes <laughs> or, or co-workers for that matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I also think like normalizing and that's part of what I try to do. You know, there are always these these funny things that happen in our day that make us go, oh my gosh, like I'm waiting on a kid for 10 minutes as they're going to the bathroom. And I'm like, this is our speech time. I don't have any other time to come get you. Like, you know, these little things. And I think we have those things that happen that make us go, oh, why did I do this? Why am I in this job? And I think normalizing that as well, like you can love what you do and not love it a hundred percent of the time. And that is okay. I think I get some messages from people who are like, oh my gosh, thank you for saying you didn't want to go to work today. And it was like, man, I love my job. I love being an SLP. I don't love going in every day. And that is okay. But like you said, it goes back to the why. It's not necessarily about whether I want to be here or not. It's why I want to be here. Mm -hmm. 
And it's okay if sometimes my motivation to get up and be the PEDS SLP for the pre-K kid at 7.30 is not what I want to be doing right away in the morning. So I think normalizing and being okay with going, I don't want to go to work today is something that um, is a good conversation to be had. And that's why I work in the schools because I look forward, I count down to the very next break. Like it's summer, I live for it. Live for it. Oh, yeah. I didn't have summer break. If I was in a job that made me work year round, I don't. I don't know what I would do. I, yeah, I. It's that me. No, I agree. I actually. So my fiance is in education. His entire family is in education, and I was working a year round job. And then the first year that we were dating, and I was just like, um, "Oh, I gotta go to work." And he's like, "All right, I'll still be on the couch when you get home from work." And it was like. Oh man, like I could have a schedule like that. And so I got into the schools just to see what it would be like to be on the same schedule as him. And it is amazing. Like it's everything. And I was like, all right, I could function like this. Well, on the flip side, my husband's not in education, but this was the first summer last summer where I was home, not working. The kids were mm-hmm. in camp, but he was working from home. And he was like, what are you doing all day? And I'm like, not what you're doing. Bye. <laughs> like, that's not fair. And I'm like, sorry, go have fun doing work. I'm going to go sit by my friend's pool. Yeah, exactly. I worked hard all year. And this is this is my positive reinforcement right here. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> can you touch a little bit upon just finding the humor of it all and how it can help you stay positive? I think there's just a lot of research on humor. Humor is a coping mechanism. So this is actually, this is how I was raised. My entire family, my extended family, we cope with humor. That is just how I know how to function. That's how I've walked through some pretty rough times in my life. It's just coping with humor. And in fact, that's when I knew I loved my fiance was when he made a quite dark joke and I giggled and he was like, oh my gosh, she gets me. She comes with humor. And so I think that's just always how I've functioned. And I think you'll hear people say, well, if I don't laugh about it, I'm going to cry about it. And I think there's really something to it because we have to be able to bring the humor. Humor is, I love laughing. I think we should be laughing all the time. I am grateful for my fiance. He makes me laugh all the time. And I think being able to take a step back makes us realize like, some of the things we see and some of the things we go through as SLPs, and I will say specifically PEDS SLPs. I know adult SLPs also have some hilarious stories, but it's just, you have to laugh at it and you have to go, man, sometimes my job isn't that serious. Like how fun is it that I get to have all these stories? I get to commiserate about these weird things. Like the funny thing a kid say when he farted in speech and like the funny things kids say when we go to pick them up. Like I think when you're focused on that and you can share that, like, I love coming home to share with Eric that the funny story that happened and he does the same. I think that that takes my mind off of the pile of paperwork that I have tomorrow morning to come to. And instead, I'm focused on the funny thing that happened. And I have that comedic relief. And I think that that's so important because sometimes we can get bogged down by I have so much to do. I am so stressed. But taking a second to laugh and share about that with your friends, family, Instagram community, I think that that's so important. And it's actually brought me a lot more joy in my job, being able to laugh about it with other people. I get that joy with Eric, but it's fun with people who are SLPs who get it. I can have SLP specific jokes and stuff like that, that everybody that you guys all understand. And I think that that's important. Can you share a favorite? A favorite story? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. 
I have so many. I actually just told my grad student that I need to start writing these down. One of my favorites is last year. I actually just forgot. I had forgotten about this story. Last year, I had a kid call Hanukkah Veronica. He goes, so do you celebrate Veronica? And I went, I'm sorry, who's Veronica? And he goes, do you celebrate Veronica? Like, he goes, Veronica. And he's trying to explain it to me. And I go, honey, I go, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, the holiday. Like he was so frustrated by the fact that I didn't know what Veronica was. And I finally went, do you mean Hanukkah? And he goes, is Hanukkah? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, I celebrate Hanukkah. And so his parents from birth to nine had been letting him call it Veronica. It was the funniest thing watching this crisis happen on this kid's face. Oh, amazing. It was so amazing. Did you ever speak to the parents to let them know we told you? I told you the right way I figured that was probably the, he walked in the door and went, hey, listen here, I embarrassed myself today. Be a fly on the wall in that house <laughs> when that kid goes along. Oh my yes. God. Yes. I mean, I met that, but that's the story he'll probably tell his kids one day that I was, oh, yes. I was calling it Veronica and no one corrected me. Oh yes. Oh yes. Or we had, my grad student and I the other day had, we have two kids who are super unintelligible. We have a really hard time understanding them and they're, there's the sweetest little kiddos and we weren't understanding one. And then the other kid was trying to translate for us and we were not understanding him. And we're sitting there going, what is happening? And my grad student, I couldn't help but just giggle at the fact that we cannot understand what either of these kids are saying. But they but knew each And we understood each other. That's they amazing. They each other. It was amazing. But we were like, uh, not quite sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hey, if you don't laugh, then you'll cry. And Exactly. And uh, the best part about our job is that every day is different. Yes. What is something else they feel is the best part of the job? I just love being a part of these kids' young lives. Like, I think that that's been something that I just like being a part of it. Like, I like being a part of their little story, the beginning to their story. And I think that sharing in the, the small wins, which sometimes they are very small, where we're just like they said, they said car today and we're like, yes, things that a great R. And that was the only good R that we got, but we got an R or sometimes it's something big. Like I said, we had a kid who told their parents for the first time, love you on the lamp device. And of course there are tears. And, and I think being able to just celebrate each kid's wins is just, that just gives me so much joy going like, Hey man, that was hard for you last week. And you were able to do it this week or being able to see that kid gets to tell mom that they love them. I think that like things right, like everyone that. driving, driving wipe the tears. Like, <laughs> yes. right? I mean, but the whole spectrum of it, like I, the, every kid's wins are different and we get to celebrate them. I think that that's just something that's so special. And I, it just brings me joy because even though there aren't always wins, you know, sometimes you have a session that you're like, geez, Louise, like you said, like sometimes it just flops. You do have those small moments, I think, more often than not. And I think that that's what just brings me so much joy. I love it. I love it. Where can everyone learn more about you and everything you have to offer if they are not already following you on Instagram? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. It's been busy lately, but you can follow me on Instagram at the messy SLP. I am a small private practice owner. I have a couple of clients on the side. I have a website themessyslp.com. And yeah, that's pretty much where I'm most active. I'm not on all of the social channels. I do have a Facebook page that I am not good at updating for my business, but Instagram is the place to be. So if you ever need a pick-me-up, 
that is where you can go. And I hope, <laughs> I'm hoping that you all are entering your school day or if you're walking your dog and ending your day, whatever you're doing. <laughs> I'm hoping this was the jolt of inspiration that you needed. I always end my episodes with a joke. And since this episode is airing in the wintertime, why not a winter joke? Where does a snowman keep his money? In a snowbank. Guys, if I wasn't an SLP and I wasn't a barista, maybe I'll be a stand-up comedian. But there you go. A really bad one where <laughs> they throw the tomatoes at them. And t- <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> hey, but again... It's all about the laughter. So thank you, Danny, for coming on the show. And everyone listening, until next week, stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.